I don't think I have anything to prove at this stage in my career. I am who I am. I do what I do. I get buckets. I try to get in the lane and make plays for others. And uh, I think it's it's pretty well known that that I am a, a very good basketball player. I'm just trying to become elite. And it's not about proving people wrong or, or anything like that. I'm just trying to prove myself right. The league changes rules ahead of the 21-22 season in order to discourage offensive players from making overt, abrupt, or abnormal basketball moves. And I must agree, these changes have helped the game. I think it's it's a more pure form of basketball, similar to kind of the blacktop. You have to really have skill, and I'm enjoying this. The NBA recently released their top 75 greatest players of all time. I had a teammate and former teammate make that list. There's a reason why these types of players get these types of rewards, and I'm happy to see them be honored in that way. Welcome to the Pull Up Pod, episode number 124. It's currently Tuesday, October 26th. And on this date, October 26th, 1984, Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, and John Stockton all made their NBA debuts. Between them, they have 32 All-Star appearances, 33 All-NBA selections, six MVPs, nine finals appearances, six championships, and all three of them made the NBA's top 75 all-time. And if you haven't noticed, all six of those championships belong to his heiress, a.k.a. Michael Jordan. As we record this podcast, we're fresh off a shellacking uh, that we took in Los Angeles against the Clippers. Not not our best moment, but it's a long season, so we're looking forward to uh, our game on Wednesday against the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, week one is basically in the books. I feel good uh, about how the week went. I think we competed, obviously, tough opening loss to the Sacramento Kings. We dug ourselves in a hole, but fought back, ended up losing by three. Had a nice, you know, well-rounded team win against the Phoenix Suns in game two. And as I said before, a tough loss against the Clippers in which we turned the ball over 30 times, didn't look like ourselves. Uh, Steps low. Uh, We played against a desperate team who had more of a sense of urgency than we did, and that's no excuse, but we got to be better, and we will be better uh, because that was embarrassing. Uh, personally, I've been playing pretty well, been aggressive. I'm in great shape. I had a really good summer where I didn't have to to rehab. I was able to work on my game, work on my body, and you know, kind of come in understanding what I wanted to accomplish. And um, the last few seasons, I've really just focused on getting off to a good start. And last last year, I was off to a great start, my best start in my career. And uh, I suffered a foot injury, and that kind of you know hurt me throughout the rest of the year as I had to you know go through rehab during COVID and actually returned in eight weeks, but I wasn't the same mentally and I wasn't the same physically, but that's in the past now. That's water under the bridge and I'm ready to go. And um, I'm showing that I'm ready to go. I think uh, I've been aggressive. I'm getting up a lot of threes, a lot of quality threes, getting to the basket when I feel like it. And uh, the game is, is, is coming easy. And defensively, I've been engaged, uh, active hands, good in picking rolls, good on the ball, trying to get contest every time and just, you know, just trying to trying to play a, a well-rounded game to, to help put us in the best position to win. I don't think I have anything to prove at this stage in my career. I am who I am. I do what I do. I get buckets. I try to get in the lane and make plays for others. And uh, I think it's it's pretty well known that that I am a, a very good basketball player. I'm just trying to become elite and remain elite throughout a full season. Um, and, and it's not about proving 
proving people wrong or, or anything like that. I'm just trying to prove myself right, understanding who I am and, and what I'm capable of as a basketball player and just doing it every night. In terms of early indicators for not only myself, but my team, a lot of things I look at, you know, as I'm watching basketball and as I'm, I'm breaking down film, I think it's one, are you competing every night? Right? Are you diving for loose balls? Uh, is the team connected? Are they helping each other up when someone falls? Um, bench decorum, like how do, how do the guys look that don't play? How do the guys look that do play? Are they connected? Are they as one? You know, those are the things I'm kind of looking at. And then uh, obviously strength of schedule uh, matters, who you're playing against and how you're playing, right? We've played the Sacramento Kings, who's, you know, borderline playoff, could make it, could not make it. And we've played two teams who will probably make the playoffs. Uh, the Phoenix Suns, who are coming off a championship run, who are very good. And a Clippers team who's, you know, missing Kawhi Leonard, but still good, well-coached, have a star in Paul George, and um, will be in position to, to compete for a playoff spot. So how do you play against them? And I think... We've played hard, but we haven't always played smart, and we've turned the ball over a lot. But I think that's to be expected when you're putting in new offense and new defense. But we got to be more sharp. In terms of early indicators for myself, I think what I've kind of looked at is how does my wind feel? How does my conditioning feel? I know my body fat's low. My weight is is in a, in a really good spot. I got a great schedule in terms of working with, you know, Devin, my uh, movement specialist, working with Todd, our, our strength coach for the Blazers, and, and working with, you know, Lady Jess, one of our PTs on staff, with um, Charles and, and, and the rest of our staff. I think I have a really good routine down now to where I feel comfortable um, that the work has been done. Now I just kind of show up and I'm able to get to spots. I don't really look at the makes and misses early in the season because they can kind of, you know, be up and down as you kind of find your rhythm. But I just look at, am I getting quality shots? Am I getting space? Am I getting separation? Uh, how does my body feel in the fourth quarter? Do I still have great balance? Uh, am I still able to get into my ankles and my hips? And... Um, Obviously, the results have, they've been there for me um, early in the season. I missed a couple of shots I'd normally make, but as I said before, I'm just more so worried about the conditioning, how my legs feel, quality three-point attempts, and then just overall aggressive mentality, uh, which is what I'm going to carry in every, every night. You know, I'm not worried about who we're playing against. I have the mindset and mentality that I want to kill and destroy and be aggressive, you know, aggressively attacking and going at people, not only on offense, but also on defense. With all that said, we did get Chauncey's first victory at home over the Suns, and it was a really dope moment to see uh, everything kind of come together for him. A lot of stuff we've been working on in practice, a lot of stuff we've worked on watching film and breakdowns. We finally executed it, and we executed it well in front of our home fans, and he was able to reap the benefits of that with his first victory and our first victory of the season. And we poured a bunch of water on him and kind of celebrated him, gave him the game ball, because I think this is a moment that he'll remember in uh, what should be a long, long, successful coaching career uh, after a very, very successful basketball career in which he uh, he had as a player. Uh, I think, you know, the game is the game, right? But there's, you know, all these little mental hurdles you go through and physical hurdles you go through in an 82-game season. And there's going to be great victories. There's going to be tough losses. There's going to be nights like yesterday where you lose by 30 and then you fly home and you don't land until 2.20 and you don't go to sleep till 3.30 and you have to get up and, and go through another day. Sometimes there's back-to-backs. Uh, it's just a lot, but you have to understand, uh, as, as Melo would say, you got to stay mellow. Um, 
you got to really stay even kill, not get too high uh, with victories and great play and not get too low with, with losses and, and poor performance, understanding that it's the body of work and the law of averages. Uh, you want to give yourself the best chance of winning every night, understanding that some nights teams are going to outperform you, they're going to play better, and they're going to have a better game plan. But it's just more about sustaining you know, a, a really good positive mentality. And I think that's what we've kind of instilled, not only in our organization, but uh, within our roster and our culture teaching the young guys, you know, be consistent with your approach, be consistent with your work ethic, be consistent with, you know, your film study, weights, taking care of your body, getting your shots, getting to your spots, because you're building, you know, not only are you building a routine and you're building uh, an understanding of how to get yourself mentally and physically ready for games, but you're, you're building a reputation and you never know how long your career is going to last. You never know how long you're going to be with a team, but you want to make sure you do everything in your power um, to maximize your situation in terms of putting yourself in a position to succeed. So that's been our mentality uh, as we kind of instill uh, work ethic and and, and take pride in preparation, especially me as a, as a player and as a guy who's, you know, built a, built a, a reputation around the league as someone who works and uh, is, is the ultimate professional. I've had a chance to watch a lot of games on League Pass, watch a lot of teams. I watch a lot of guys in the 13 draft, a lot of my friends on other teams. Obviously, you know, there's the big teams that you watch, you know, by big teams, I mean big market teams, you know, the Knicks, the Lakers, um, the Warriors, those types of teams. But I really enjoy watching the Hornets. I really enjoy watching the Bulls, seeing the roster they were able to construct, um, specifically the Bulls. They're 4-0 right now. They got DeMar. They have the big fella. They got Lonzo Ball. They pick up Caruso and Zach Levine, who's a monster, a guy who can get his shot whenever he feels like it and is an explosive athlete. They're off to a 4-0 start for the first time since the 96-97 season, and I've been impressed, although um, it's still early. Uh, I think they've shown that they have a lot to offer um, to the NBA, and they have a lot uh, to offer to League Pass. For those of you that don't have it, I would suggest you you know, check them out. They'll probably get some nationally televised games sooner than later. The Hornets have really been fun to watch. Obviously, they're led by the young ball. Um, he's getting into the lane. He's making plays. Uh, he's he's showtime basketball. I told someone um, he he reminds me of Magic Johnson. He's just fun to watch. He's infectious, and his teammates are always cutting and moving because they know they're going to be rewarded. Not just with the the pass aheads, but also in transition. He's dropping guys off, and he's not afraid. He'll hit big shots. He'll dress the same color as his Lamborghini truck, and he plays with a, a flair uh, that that many kids will definitely admire. The Warriors are the Warriors, right? They got Steph Curry. They got Draymond. Clay will be back at some point. Jordan Poole is playing extremely well, putting himself in, in position to potentially be most improved and or sixth man of the year if he gets enough uh, games where he comes off the bench. Andre Iguodala was a huge, huge pickup for them. His versatility, his experience, all those things really matter. And I think he puts them in a position to be able to go small late in games where Draymond can play the five and they can basically switch everything. And he's just such a heady player who understands how to get Steph shots. He understands how to get the other players shots and has that credibility to where he can finish around the basket. He can make plays in a, in a, in a three-on-two if he's playing as a short roller. And he's going to hit big shots as a guy who has a finals MVP. Those are just some of my thoughts on teams I've enjoyed watching. Make sure you're following the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your shows. Uh, Hit us with a five-star review. Share with a friend. And tell that friend to tell a friend. 
Coming up next, I'll share my thoughts on the NBA's official top 75 of all time list and how myself and others are adjusting to the NBA's new rule changes. The league changed its rules ahead of the 21-22 season in order to discourage offensive players from making overt, abrupt, or abnormal basketball moves. Examples include abnormal launch angle, veering off path, the late kick, off-arm contact. And because of that, we have the lowest free throw attempts per game average in NBA history, for the first time dipping below 20 free throw attempts per game. For all those old school NBA fans who talked about how our game is soft, it's not physical, it's just a bunch of guys jacking up three-pointers, getting out in transition. It's easy for the offense to score now because the game is so much faster. There's so much more freedom. I just want to remind all of those people out here that as a guy who's playing now and who admired the 90s, a lot of those things they say are true. But now, no one can argue the fact that for the first time in NBA history, Teams are shooting less than 20 attempts per game, which is the lowest in NBA history, which means we're technically getting less free baskets than all those players in the 90s, 80s, and beyond. And I must agree, um, these changes have helped the game. I think it's, it's a more pure form of basketball, similar to kind of the blacktop, where you can't call your own fouls on game point. And, and, and make sure that you're putting yourself in a position to either get the ball back or shoot free throws. You have to really have skill. You have to really be able to create for yourself. And I think I'm enjoying this. I'm really enjoying watching and playing uh, the game where there's not as many interruptions. Um, there's not as many situations in which guys are able to just hunt for fouls, jumping back and picking rolls. Guys aren't able to grab arms. There's so many techniques that a lot of players have used, you know, the James Hardens of the world, the Trey Youngs of the world, who are great players in their own right, but have figured out how to manipulate the system, have figured out how to manipulate the referees and have allowed them themselves to get to the line at unbelievable rates. Um, Harden, for instance, his scoring numbers are down, his free throws are down to start the season. He's averaged 10.2 free throw attempts per game from, 12, from the 12-13 season through 2021. This year, he's averaging three free throw attempts per game. That's more like a, a C.J. McCollum, a guy who doesn't get to the line much. I just used my name and myself in third person, but I thought it was appropriate. I don't get to the line a lot, and I think as a guy who's known as a scorer, who's a bona fide bucket getter, um, I don't really need free throws. I know it's good for the analytics and the, and the player efficiency rating and stuff like that, but I can go score 30 with no free throws. Uh, so th this hasn't really affected me because I don't hunt for, for fouls. I just try to get to it. And I train in a way in which it allows me to just get buckets, you know, middies, threes, get, get, get to the rim, hit floaters, score in transition, whatever the case may be. But this has really affected Trey Young as well. He's still a scorer and a, and a guy who can get his team involved. But I've seen a lot of clips of guys, you know, coming off screens and jumping back. And it would normally be a foul, but now it's a play on. And it's kind of triggering, you know, more so of a fast break. And I think the consensus among players is that defenders love it. Defenders can be more aggressive. They can get into the ball because less fouls are being called. I can be more aggressive personally as a guy who's, you know, defending and trying to be aggressive on both ends. I think offensive guys aren't happy because they aren't getting free points. They aren't getting free trips to the line. The game has become a lot more physical. It's become a lot more free-flowing. 
to where defenses are able to kind of dictate more than they have been in the past. And I think it's really good for the fans. A lot of fans are enjoying watching, you know, guys have to really create and really have to get to the line on their own merit. So I look forward to seeing how the refs continue to adjust, see how the NBA continues to adjust. I think it'll loosen up a bit, but right now it's a huge, huge point of emphasis. And you'll see guys kind of struggle because they played the game a certain way for so long. They have to kind of change that and it takes time to adapt. But, you know, guys who are pure bucket getters, you know, the KDs of the world, you know, Kyrie, you know, if he's able to come back, um, John Morant, I think the list goes on and on. There's a lot of guys who just get buckets um, and they can score at, at all three levels to where it doesn't really affect them. Brandon Ingram, another guy, he's getting to it. Steph Curry, he's moving constantly. And these are guys who are going to score regardless of if they get three free throw attempts, zero free throw attempts, or five. They're, they're just very efficient in, in their movement and can get to it off the bounce. And I think that's the importance of the mid-range jumper, right? You got a lot of guys who can shoot threes, a lot of guys who can finish at the rim. But if the shot is off and you're not finishing at the rim because there's a lot of contact that's not being called, you have to be able to boogie, create space, and score in the mid-range game. So kids that are listening out there, it's important that you can shoot the three. It's important that you can get to the rim. But if you don't have a floater in a midi, and those types of situations, you will definitely struggle. The NBA recently released their top 75, well, 76 players. Um, and they had the anniversary in which they talked about the 75 greatest players of all time with a list. I had a teammate and former teammate make that list, that being Dame and Mello. And I just want to talk about them for a second. I think it's really dope, first of all, to be playing alongside a guy who's still currently in his prime and is considered one of the 75 greatest players of all time. And I think it's really dope that I got to play uh, alongside Melo, still friends with him till this day. A guy who's a, a, a sure Hall of Famer, first ballot, no question. It's top nine in NBA history in scoring, has hit big shot after big shot, but still works, you know, probably harder than a lot of rookies in this league. Takes care of his body does all the little things, enjoys playing the game of basketball, is a league pass junkie. He's watching games. He's going to games. Um, he's playing ones on off days. It's just a guy who really genuinely cares about basketball, so I'm not surprised he's in this position. Um, in terms of Dame, I've been around him since 2013. His approach, his work ethic, you know, two, three, four workouts in a day, shooting in the morning, lifting in between, boxing, shooting at night, the film study. He's a league pass junkie. Guys watching every game he can um, on, a, on a nightly basis, texting me about it. I think there's a reason why these types of players get these types of awards and show up when the, when the game matters most because it's a mentality, it's a work ethic, it's a mindset, but it's also a dedication. It's also the fact that they genuinely care and are usually generally good people. And I think for them, um, I'm happy to see the, them be honored in that way, happy to play alongside them and have played alongside Melo. And think that the greatest separator is commitment, dedication, hard work, and loyalty, not just to the people around them, but to the game. When you're loyal to the game and you care about the game and you dedicate yourself, and you're not afraid of the work, and you're also not afraid to be criticized, generally good things are going to happen to you. And that's what's happened to these guys. And the rest of the players in this list, I'm sure the same can be said, that they've been dedicated. They've worked on their craft. They've expanded their games. They've taken care of their bodies. 
they've been on time, they've been coachable, they've done all these things, and now the reward at the end of the tunnel is not only success while they're playing, but being recognized uh, when your career is, is over. And my thoughts on the list are that there are a lot of great players who have played this game and that some players had to be left off. Um, I don't really have any problems with the players left off because I know that the players that were snubbed will be on the top 100 or whatever comes after this. Notable players that were left off include Clay, Dwight Howard, D. Rose, Tony Parker, T-Mac, The Joker, Vince Carter, Pau Gasol, Joe Dumars. As a guard, I'm sad to see Joe Dumars not on the list. You know, a small school guy. I'm really sad to see T-Mac. I know him personally. Vince, know him personally. Pau, T.P., Manu, D. Rose, Clay as well. But I think Dwight Howard is a guy who should have been on the list for sure based on accolades, the fact that he won a championship, all defensive team, defensive player of the year, multiple times, all NBA, all-star, multi-times. Um, it just doesn't make sense uh, that he wasn't on the list. But as the saying goes, everyone can't make it, so it's tough. Uh, I think based on his career with Orlando and his career with the Lakers, he's the first ballot Hall of Famer. His, his statistics and accomplishments are greater than some of those who actually made the list. And I think when it's all said and done, he'll be more appreciated uh, once he retires. And that's generally how it goes. You know, once you walk away from the game, people kind of go back and unpeel those layers and see, like, wow, this guy was really amazing. He really accomplished a lot of things, and we kind of took his game for granted. I think that's to be said about a lot of players. And I think the other question that we come up with is, is this list based on accolades, accomplishments, as a team or individually or both? And what are they weighing most? Because a lot of these players are good in their own right, but also we're winners. You know, D. Rose was the youngest MVP ever. Manu was a winner, a guy who sacrificed, came off the bench, but was a winner. He did a lot of different things. He revolutionized the game as arguably one of the greatest European players to ever play in the NBA. Tony Parker was a winner, a guy who sacrificed. He, you know, kept the mid-range alive, had a floater, could get to the paint, did a lot of little things, but didn't necessarily put up gaudy individual stats, but was a great team player. So I think you have to figure out what the voters are valuing most. Is it individual accolades? Is it success from teams? Is it the combination? Because that will really determine who's being snubbed and who's not. Stay tuned because coming up, we got the Lakers big men getting feisty. A little scuffle per se, a little situation on the bench between two players. And then Miles Bridges is getting the dub and the L. Stay locked in. Before we pull up our dish, I want to go on record saying that I called Mano Ginobili European. He's actually Argentinian from Argentina. So instead of the Euro step, we should call it the South American step. Lakers scuffle. Dwight and AD. AD and Dwight Howard had a verbal exchange on the bench during a timeout that could have turned physical had teammates not gotten involved. Both guys say they squashed it at halftime and that it doesn't need to be discussed anymore. I am dishing on this situation. I've been in, I've been in a lot of confrontations with teammates over the course of my career that just haven't been documented and they haven't been on TV in prime time during a game. But I think emotions get high at times. Um, especially when you're competing at the highest level, especially when you're losing, things aren't going well. You tend to be a little bit more on edge um, considering what the Lakers have at stake, a championship. They have all these veteran players. Um, they're still trying to figure things out and they were struggling. 
it happens. There's a lot of confrontations between teammates, staff members, those things alike. You just don't always see it. So I don't necessarily think it was a big deal. If they were 3-0 and or 2-1 and even, I don't think people would have been bringing it up. But the fact that the incident happened right after the, the, the top 75 players had been released, AD was actually on the list, Dwight Howard wasn't. So there's all this speculation about, is Dwight Howard mad about the list? Are they arguing about that? And, and jokes were kind of made. But I think that they're just both competitors who really want to win and the emotions got the best of them. I think that they definitely will have handled it, you know, behind closed doors, which is how those incidents should be handled. And as the saying goes, you're going to have confrontations at times with coworkers. I'm sure everyone in America has had confrontations with coworkers to some extent, just probably not as physical because you're sitting at desks or cubicles or working from home on Zoom. So you can just kind of argue in the, in the chats or the comments or whatever the case may be. But in our situation, we're physically seeing each other every day, competing against each other, practicing against each other, and then bringing everything together as a unit. So uh, I think the Lakers, you know, should handle that in-house as, as I'm sure they have, but two grown men, um, arguing. Uh, I actually like the passion. You know, that means they care. You know, when you're literally physically ready to come to blows, that means you truly care about what's going on in the court. And that's what I want to be surrounded by people who care about the game. I think just turning the page, looking at the actual Lakers team, I think they have a lot of good players. They just have to figure out how to use them in, 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 the rotations, and then also the injuries that they're facing with Trevor Ariza being out, THT, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker being out, um, Kendrick Nunn being out, Wayne Ellington being out. They have all these players who are, who are hurt, so the rotation is having to shift a little bit. Obviously, the addition of Russell Westbrook, um, they, they add Carmelo Anthony. They, they have all of these players, all this talent. They just have to figure out how to play together off of each other and how to maximize that talent. I think it's going to take some time. There's going to be some great moments and great nights, and there's going to be nights where they struggle, uh, which is all a part of the NBA season. But I think they're playing the long game, and hopefully you know, they're able to kind of figure things out. But I think so far they've just kind of struggled with spacing. They struggle with rotations defensively, and they got a nice win where Melo played extremely well the other night against a, a young Memphis team who was on a back-to-back. But sometimes you have to win ugly. Uh, it still counts down the stretch of the season. Get the dub, take the L. The dub of the week is definitely Miles Bridges. Um, he's averaging 25 points per game after four games. The last two seasons, he's averaged about 13. And the Hornets are 3-1, and one, coming off a overtime loss to the Boston Celtics in which Miles dunked on someone, but also was dunked on. I think the league is in a great, great spot with young talent. So many young, athletic, well-rounded basketball players are here on earth. And I think we're we're at the, the apex of basketball to where you have a lot of veterans, a lot of Hall of Famers, mixed with a lot of young superstars and, and potential stars uh, who will be the faces of the league for a very, very long time. I think it's early, but Bridges is my pick for MIP based on how he's playing, getting up and down the court. He's dunking. He's in a contract year. He's going to get a massive, massive extension. He plays well alongside ball. He can shoot the three well. Uh, he's got a midi. He's got a handle. He's like the perfect new era NBA four man. And I don't see why he won't average 20 points per game with that athleticism and skill set. So he's in for a big payday. He's in for a great season. And the bag is coming. I don't know what the ceiling is for a guy like that with, with that much athleticism and 
and ability to play kind of like mid post. He can score off the balance. He can ISO. He shoots catch and shoot. He shoots off the dribble. He's a lob threat on, on screening and rolling. Um, the ceiling is the roof, as Michael Jordan would say. He can he can become as good as he wants to become uh, with 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 that skill set. The L of the week: Jokic, Anthony Edwards, Kelly Olynyk, and also Miles Bridges. Ironically, Jokic was posterized by Laurie Markkinen last night on the fast break. It was a nasty dunk. Edwards was dunked on by Brandon Ingram last night. Olenek was jumped over on a lob, actually. Uh, that was nasty. That John Collins dunk. He's one of the most explosive players I've seen um, in a game. And then Jalen Brown, a happy belated birthday, Jalen. He dunked on Bridges last night. And Bridges also dunked on their whole team at one point throughout the game. But I just think it's crazy that all these athletic plays are happening um, at once, there's just so many athletes in the NBA. The game is faster, pace, it's transition. And I think the best the best posters are the ones where both players jump, right? Like the charge poster is cool and all, but I like to see the defender jump and the offensive guy just jump higher than him, put his whole arm in the room, and then the celebrations afterwards are usually great. And I like how the refs have allowed guys to celebrate. You know, when you dunk on someone, there's got to be a crazy adrenaline rush. Um as a guy who doesn't really dunk on players very often, um, I can imagine the, the adrenaline rush that, that I would feel after dunking, and I'd probably get a technical. But I have been dunked on before by multiple players um, in this league. Uh, it's, it doesn't really feel like anything, right? As a defender, your job is to compete, and sometimes you got to go and rotate in the charge, or sometimes you jump. My high school teammate, Colston, dunked on me a few years ago on TV. I was the rotation guy on the backside. I was late and I just jumped and he dunked on me and one. And I've also been dunked on um, by other players, but it just, it just happens. It's a part of the game. I think when you rotate over, you decide three things. Do I take a charge? Do I foul? Or do I jump to try to block it and then foul? <laughs> Those are the three options. And generally, you kind of do whatever comes naturally. Now I'm more of a foul guy because I don't have time to be trying to jump with these world-class athletes, but you know how that goes, uh, generally. Cue the Y music, please. This is one of my favorite parts of the pull-up pod. It's the wine segment, but before we do that, I want to recognize NBC. NBC recently wrote an article about um, how NBA players are helping drive diversity in the wine industry, and they focused on, you know, myself and my wife talking about ownership and advocacy and what we were able to to kind of accomplish so far and what we're looking to accomplish in the wine space, having purchased 318 acres um, in, in the Carlton AVA. Uh, we're, we're definitely looking, looking forward to building out a vineyard and continuing to figure out ways to add diversity to this space to make it more approachable to all people, specifically, you know, blacks and minorities, understanding that only 2% of people, you know, black people are known as industry professionals in the wine space and less than 1% own wineries. So there's just a lot of room for for growth. There's a lot of room for us to continue to figure out ways to help build up this wine space because obviously the more diverse it is, the, the better product you're going to get. And also the more revenue people will be able to generate when people from all walks of life are purchasing wine, enjoying wine, talking about wine and involved in the process uh, from start to finish, including manufacturing wine. I want to talk about the wine that I most recently had. I've been not drinking very often because uh, my wife is pregnant and I'm kind of like on this like 
cleanse, this cleanse thing I'm doing where it's just basically water, smoothies, tea, and the occasional uh, orange juice. But recently had the Bull Frere Special. It was a 2014 Bull Frere. I think it was Ribbon Ridge. And I definitely really, really, really enjoyed it. It's among the top 1% of all wines in the world. It is in Oregon. Wine more light than bold, more smooth than tannic, more dry than sweet. Higher acidity, but there was hints of cherry, strawberry, raspberry, a little bit of oak and vanilla. Well, Fur is one of my favorite vineyards in the valley. Um, I really, really do enjoy it. It's medium bodied, and you can pair it with veal, beef, game, deer, and poultry. Or, as the saying goes, you can drink it with anything. It's 100% Pinot Noir grapes, and I am a huge, huge fan. Would highly, highly recommend you guys checking that out. It's about 90 bucks, depending on where you get it from. Could be $95, but I highly recommend it uh, depending on how much you want to spend. As always, I want to thank you guys for checking in this week. Be sure to follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows. Tell a friend to tell a friend and hit the show on social at Pull Up Pod on Twitter and Instagram. We're always posting fresh content there all season long. And as the saying goes, don't forget to pull up. <laughs> <laughs>